And we're going we're gonna to get into the Word today, and you've probably noticed from your bulletin that uh, we are using the fact that it's Valentine's Day to launch into a, a time of discussing and teaching on healthy sexuality. Now, last year, we spent one Sunday talking about sex within your marriage, and, and I made the joke that, hey, if this was awkward for you, my mom was here, all right? So it was awkward for me. So now my mom is off with the Church on the Beats mobile team, but just because just God likes to keep me on my toes, my father-in-law and my mother-in-law are here to hear me talk about sex, so... You know, in 2008, we went through a season where uh, we had to move up to Vancouver, Washington, and we didn't have anything, right? We didn't have a job. We didn't have any money. We didn't know what we were doing, but we were just trying to be faithful to God. And so we actually uh, moved in with my in-laws, and, and we lived with them for about four or five months. And uh, I don't know if they did this on purpose or not, but in the guest room, the bed that we were sleeping in was tremendously squeaky, okay? So... And I'm kind of a big guy, so every time I would even roll over, it would be like, and Shannon would be like, stop it, they're going to think we're doing something. And I'd be like, well, if they already think we're doing something. But that never works. Some nights, if I was feeling really mischievous, before I would even get into bed, I would just grab the headboard and start pulling on it. And Shannon would jump out of bed, stop it, stop it. So we're going to have some fun today. We're going to chase some religious spirits out of the room, all right? We're going we're gonna to discuss some healthy sexuality. The title of the series is Exposed, and we get that from Hebrews 4.13, which, depending on which translation of the Bible you're reading, it says that we are all naked and exposed before God. And what does that mean? That means that God sees everything. Nothing is hidden from Him. He sees the best of us, and he sees the worst of us. And he sees us when we get it right, and he sees us when we're failing, and he sees us when we're honoring him, and he sees us when we're falling into sin, and he sees everything. And so that should mean that nothing should be off limits. If we're the people of God, we should be able to discuss and talk about the truths that God teaches us. And if we read through the Bible from cover to cover, sex is in there from beginning to end. And that means that as God's people, we should deal with it. And so we want to dive into some truth. And so you might be here and you might be thinking, Pastor, I'm a 70-year-old married man. This is not my struggle anymore. Or, Pastor, I'm a 75-year-old widow. This is not for me. Well, it may not be for you right now, but there's people in this room today that need to hear this. And here's the thing. They don't just need to hear it from me. They need to hear it from you. We have some kapuna in here that have some wisdom and some truth that they could share with the younger generation. And so if you're thinking to yourself, this isn't for me, it's for all of us. And we all have a part to play in understanding this truth. So let's get into this. Today, uh, we're going to title this message, Thrills Within Limits. Thrills Within Limits. And you can see in your notes... Our thesis for today is this, that strict limits on sex don't rob us of its beauty. They set us free to enjoy it. Strict limits on sex don't rob us of its beauty. They set us free to enjoy it. And you're like, well, what do you mean, Pastor? 
And so I was praying this week. I was like, God, can you give me like a good example, something that maybe everybody would, would understand? And then God got me thinking about over Christmas break, we got to go to the mainland, and we went to Knott's Berry Farm where they've got these extreme roller coasters. I don't know if anybody has a chance to go to, go to some of these roller coaster parks and ride some of these extreme roller coasters. But at Knott's Berry Farm, they had this new one called Hang Time, and it was all surfer-themed. And I thought, oh, this is cool. And then you ride it, and you're like, I never experienced that surfing. Um, but anyway, I want you, actually, I got this video, so if you want to go ahead and start playing it, Antonio, this is an animation of this Hang Time ride. And what you can't see from this video is that there are no seat belts, there are no shoulder bars, there's just one little tiny lap bar holding you in. And where most roller coasters take you 45 degrees to the top, this one immediately goes 90 degrees, and you're going straight up in the air, and you feel like you're going to slide right out of this little tiny lap bar. And then when it gets you to the top, you curve over the top to where you can see, like, the entire world. And then right before it drops you, it stops for, like, five seconds and just leaves you hanging there contemplating why you got on the ride in the first place. Who right there. And then it lets you go, and you drop beyond 90 degrees, and you go on this crazy wild ride where during the course of this ride, you're going upside down at least five different times, twisting and spinning and screaming, and again, no seatbelts, just a little tiny lap bar. Now here's the thing. When you go on a ride like this, you know what makes it fun? Is that you're not going to die. That's what makes it fun. The confidence that you have that a team of engineers spent hundreds upon hundreds of hours designing these rides and studying the physics and testing them through computers and all of this kind of stuff so that they know that the ride works. The fact that they designed these cars to stay on the track. That's what makes it fun. Right? If the car wasn't attached to the track, that ride wouldn't be very fun. It would be terrifying. But here's the thing. You don't hear anybody complaining, oh, geez, why did the, why did the engineers have to use so many rules when they designed this ride? They're just taking all the fun out of it. Oh, why did they build this ride so that the car stays attached to the track? They're just taking all the fun out of it. Nobody says that. It's fun because you don't die. It's fun because the car doesn't separate from the track. But then that's what we say about God. Well, why does God make so many rules about sex? He's just trying to take all the fun out of it. Why does God say we have to do it a certain way? He's just a killjoy. No. He's trying to help us not die. He's trying to help us not derail our lives. So it's thrills within limits. It is the very limits that God put on sexuality that set us free to enjoy it. Not to steal the fun. Not to rob us of the joy. Because God knew that sex outside of those limits could be devastating in people's lives. Through emotional distraught and torment and pain. 
through our own biology and chemistry that fights against us when we are having sex outside of those limits. Thrills within limits. So let's get into the Word and let's talk about this. We're going we're gonna to bounce around a little bit in the Word today, but we're going to start from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to declare this. Sex is a wonderful gift that God has given us. It is a wonderful gift that God has given us. Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God creates a man and a woman, and the very first thing he tells them to do is have sex. Right? And this was probably the command of God that they did not struggle with. Right? It's not like Adam was like, wait a minute, God, I'm going to have to pray about this for a couple of days to see if I'm really hearing from you right. No, probably not. The very first thing he told them to do was have sex. And then in Genesis 2.24, which gives us an expanded picture in chapter 2 of creation, it says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They shall become one flesh. Sex is a wonderful gift that God has given us, and he has given it to us for both procreation and recreation. And those are those first two blanks in your notes. He has given it to us for procreation and for recreation. He has given it to us so that we would reproduce the human race and fill the earth. That's procreation. But he also gave it to us to enjoy. Because when it says that the two shall become one flesh, it's not talking about reproducing babies. It's talking about the beauty of the intimacy of sharing our bodies together and of becoming one together. You know, that one flesh principle in Hebrew culture, they didn't have the concept of premarital sex. Having sex was the act of marriage. The moment you had sex with somebody, you were married to them. Why? Because God was making you one flesh. And to have sex with them meant you were committing to being one flesh with them for the rest of their lives. Is the one flesh principle that we have gotten away from in our culture. But God gave it to us to reproduce and to have babies. But he also gave it to us to enjoy. Let's talk about enjoyment. Let's go to Song of Solomon, chapter 7. I remember Andrew was like 10 years old when he decided that he was going to read through the Bible from cover to cover as quickly as he could. He wasn't just doing one chapter a day. He was reading like 10 chapters a day, and it was awesome. But I remember the night that I poked my head into his bedroom and I said, hey, bud, where are you at now in the Bible? And he says, Song of Solomon. And I'm like, oh, you could probably skip that one for now. Okay, so if they made Song of Solomon into a movie, it would be rated R at least, maybe NC-17, okay? This is, uh, uh, this is just passion and romance. Song of Solomon chapter 7, starting in verse 6, this is the husband speaking. How beautiful and how delightful you are, my love, with all your charms. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters. Come on, guys. You should be writing some stuff down right now, okay? This is the Word of God. This is powerful and alive. Woo! 
Guys are going to be in bed tonight. Hey, baby, you're like a palm tree. And your breasts are like its clusters. But it gets even better because if the line doesn't work, then you just got to start making some faith declarations, right? So verse 8, I said, I will climb that palm tree and I will take hold of its fruits. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine and the fragrance of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. It goes down smoothly for my beloved, flowing gently through the lips of those who fall asleep. Whoo, come on. This is passion. This is enjoyment. And then in verse 10, the wife responds, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go into the country. Let us spend the night in the villages. I love this, right? The guy is just like, come on, I want to climb the tree. And the wife is like, how about a weekend getaway? How about we go to like a chateau in the village and we just stroll through the vineyards, right? Okay. Let us go to the country. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us rise early and go to the vineyards. Let us see whether the vine has budded and its blossoms have opened and whether the pomegranates have bloomed. And there I will give you my love. Right? These are not the words of a young couple simply doing their duty to reproduce the human race. No, this is a young couple that is passionately in love. And they are enjoying the gift of sexuality that God has given them. It's a thrill, and we should receive it as a thrill. Man, there have been some denominations of Christianity, whether it was the Catholics or whether it was the Puritans, who they would actually feel bad that they were enjoying their sex life. They would actually feel guilty, and they felt like they had to repent if they were enjoying it too much. That's ridiculous. That's not in the Bible. You know why sex feels good? Because God made it to feel good. That's why it feels good. He doesn't want us to feel bad about that. He wants us to embrace the enjoyment of the gift that he has given us. Sex is a wonderful gift. But here's the thing. God puts strict limits on our sexual expression. It's thrills within limits. Leviticus 18 and verse 3, God says this, You shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt where you lived, nor are you to do what is done in the land of Canaan where I'm bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. And in your notes it says, don't do what they do. He's like, listen, I know you guys have all been raised in Egypt and they had certain thoughts about sex and I know you're on your way to Canaan and they've got certain thoughts about sex, but don't do what they do. And then the rest of chapter 18, he proceeds to list 19 different sexual acts that were forbidden, that were forbidden. Don't do what they do. And listen, I think this is a big deal, especially here in Kauai, I know that a part of the Tahitian religion that became embedded into the Hawaiian culture was free sexuality and open sexuality and have sex with everybody. And it doesn't matter who you have babies with and it doesn't matter what you do with those babies. And that same spirit that was there back in the 1700s and 1800s, I believe is a spirit that we still battle on this island today. But God says, don't do what they do. 
Our sexuality should not be defined by the culture. Our sexuality should be defined by God. Don't do what they do. And it's amazing when you read Leviticus 18 that God knows what he's talking about. Listen to this. Just in chronological order, verse 20, God says, do not commit adultery. In verse 21, God says, do not sacrifice your babies, which is an interesting thing to bring up in the midst of a chapter about sex. In verse 22, God says, do not participate in homosexuality. And then in verse 23, God says, do not participate in bestiality. Right? Adultery, killing your babies, homosexuality, and bestiality. And isn't it amazing that we could track in American culture over the last 60 years when our culture started embracing adultery and the institution of marriage began to crumble? And then in the 1970s, what did we do? We legalized sacrificing our babies, and we started killing our babies. And then what did we do after that? We endorse homosexuality, and we say it's a wonderful thing. It's a scary thought to think that if we follow the order of what God knew thousands of years ago, the next one is bestiality. And you say, oh, that's gross, Pastor. Our society would never endorse that. We follow the trail up till now. And, of course, people try to challenge this. Well, that only applied to the Jews. Well, no, if you keep reading Leviticus 18, when you get to verses 24 and 25, God said these laws apply equally to every nation. And it's because the nations have violated these laws that I am dispossessing them from their land. So God said it right there. This does not just apply to Jews. This applies equally to everybody. And then in verse 26, he calls all of it an abomination. Can I just be real with us here for a second? I think one of the areas we've made a great mistake in as a church is we have taken homosexuality. And we have become so offended by it and we have become so scared of it that we have made such a stink about it. And yet at the same time that we're making such a stink about homosexuality, we're just turning a blind eye to all the other sexual sin in our churches, right? We'll go on parades and marches and hold up signs. Homosexuality is a sin. It's awful. But then we got two people in church that are sleeping together and not married. Oh, that's okay. They can still be on the worship team. Maybe that'll help them get it right. What? Listen, if we're going to rant and rave that homosexuality is an abomination, verse 26 says everything in chapter 18 is an abomination. Not just homosexuality. And I think maybe as a church we have committed the sin of being disgusted with the speck in somebody else's eye when we haven't been willing to deal with the plank in our own eye. Yes, I believe 100% that homosexuality is a sin. But I don't read anywhere in the Bible where it says it's a worse sin than a man and a woman having sex outside of marriage. God says it's all sin, and we should deal with all of it. The other thing people say, well, you know, that just applied in the Old Testament. You know, in the New Testament, God's just all about grace. God's just all about love. He doesn't care what we do with our bodies. He just wants us to love each other. Really? 
Let's just do a quick survey of the New Testament here. Antonio, you keep up with me on the slides. Matthew 5, 28, looking lustfully at a woman is the same as committing adultery with her. Mark 7, 22 and 23, sexual sin comes from within and defiles us. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, those who practice sexual sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 5, 19, the deeds of the flesh include sexual immorality. Ephesians 5, 3, not even a hint of sexual immorality or impurity should be found among you. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 through 5, control yourselves and abstain from sexual immorality. Hebrews 13, 4, keep the marriage bed pure for God will judge adulterers and fornicators. That's just a brief survey. So I don't know what Bible you're reading if you say, well, God's just all about us loving each other and he doesn't care what we do with our bodies. He cares. Sex is a wonderful gift that God has given us, but he wants it within limits. I think one more great example from the word of God about sex within limits is Proverbs chapter 5. If you got your Bibles, you can go there with me. Proverbs chapter 5, and starting in verse 15, it says this. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and not strangers with you. And in your notes it says, drink from your own well. God says, listen, God says, I want you to drink. I want you to enjoy sexuality. In fact, there's a story in the Bible about a man in the, in the book of Judges who makes a, a, just a ridiculous vow. He just says, God, if we're victorious in this battle, I'm going to sacrifice the first person that comes out to greet me. And after victory in the battle, the first person that comes out to greet him is his own daughter. What an awful vow. And so he tells his daughter, I'm sorry. But I've got to sacrifice you. I made a vow. And you know what the daughter says? Can I go and mourn for two months that I'm going to die a virgin? And the Bible says after her death, they would commemorate her death and they would weep for her because she died a virgin. Because she never got to experience the gift of sexuality that God had given. God wants you to experience it. But he says, drink from your own well. What does that mean? That means if you're not married to them, that's not your well. That's not your well. You say, well, I'm going to marry them. Still not your well. I'm thinking about marrying them. Not your well yet. And guys, if you haven't married her, that well still belongs to her father. Don't drink from his well. I've got daughters. Nobody better be drinking from my well. Amen? It says drink from your own well. That person becomes your well when you marry them. And that's when it's time to drink. And then he says, don't share your fountain. That fountain is just for you. It's not something to be shared in public. It's not something to be done with others. Don't share your fountain. Let's continue. Verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth as a loving hind and a graceful doe. Let her breasts satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. 
Right? I just, I don't know, I have a funny sense of humor. When I read that, I just think of like, you know, giving a blessing. You know, may her breast satisfy you at all times. Hallelujah. May you always be exhilarated by her love. But, hey, pastor, can you pray that Proverbs 5 prayer over us? Hallelujah. Come on. But let me talk to the men again. It says, let her breasts satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. I think this is important for us to hear as men, that none of that has to do with what her breasts look like or what her body looks like. Being satisfied and being exhilarated has nothing to do with the condition of your wife. It has to do with the condition of your heart. Shannon and I are coming up on 17 years of marriage. And over those 17 years, she's gained weight. She's gotten pregnant. Her body has changed. She's also gone through a season where she's been sick and she's lost weight and she's been injured and she's been hurt. And so there's times where maybe she weighs more than what is ideal. And there's been times where she weighs less than what is ideal. And it doesn't matter when I tell my wife, You're my wife, and you're beautiful, and I am attracted to you, and I'm exhilarated by you. And even when she's feeling insecure, and I don't look the way I want to, no. It doesn't have to do with how you look. It has to do with my heart. My heart is in love with you, and my heart chooses you, and my heart chooses to be exhilarated by you. And so men, don't ever hold it against your wife that she doesn't look the way you want her to look. You make sure it's in your hearts that her breasts satisfy you at all times and that you're always exhilarated with her love. So here we are. Drink from your own well. Be satisfied. Be exhilarated. But then verse 20. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord and he watches all of his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction. Remember what I talk about. Why does the train stay on the tracks? So we don't die. Why did God put limits on our sexuality? So we won't die for lack of instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. God says, listen, young men, don't be exhilarated with an adulteress. Don't embrace a woman who is not your well because that sin is only going to lead to destruction and difficulty and pain for you. Thrills within limits. Thrills within limits. So how do we respond? I put four things in your notes that I think are important for us to to respond to as we uh, dive into this topic of sexuality. The first one is this. Enjoy the thrill in your godly marriage. Hallelujah. If you are married, enjoy it. It's a wonderful gift. And you say, oh, well, we're just not passionate. Well, then relight the fire. Like Pastor Mel shared with us last week, date your wife. Date your spouse. Be romantic. Be intimate. Be passionate. Share sweet nothings. And enjoy the thrill. If you're not enjoying the thrill... If you're honest and you're like, Pastor, we're married and we're trying to do it right, but something's just not working, that's going to be next Sunday's message. And I want to invite you to come back next Sunday 
I want everyone to come back next Sunday. Don't be like all pastors talking about sex again. Whew, it sounds like a sleep-in Sunday to me. I want everyone to come back next Sunday. But next Sunday, we're going to specifically talk about what if it's not working? What if everything's not wonderful? Second thing we got to respond with this is we need to repent of our sexual sin. We need to stop just winking at it. We need to stop just pretending like it's okay and it's no big deal and God's grace is enough. We need to repent. 2 Corinthians 12, 21. Paul says, I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you. That humiliate is more of a humbling. That I would be humbled before you. And he says this, and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. Paul said, I will mourn, I will weep in my spirit, I will weep in the flesh over those who have not repented of their past sexual sins. I want to challenge us and encourage us that we would repent of sexual sin. You say, well, I'm married now. Everything is okay. But have you repented of what you've done in the past before you were married? And is it affecting your marriage today? Is there sexual sin you've engaged in since you've been married? If you're single and you're not married, let's get this right before your wedding day. Now, repent doesn't just mean saying, I'm sorry, and then doing it again. That is not the biblical definition of repentance. Repentance is turning around. It means I'm doing this, and now I turn my back on it, and I'm not going to do it anymore. Biblical repentance. The third thing I think we need to do in response is to start communicating differently. Communicate differently. First off, we need to start being a little more open about what we struggle with. And I know that most people in church that struggle with sexual sin don't talk about it. They hide it. Sometimes they even make a covenant to lie to their pastor about it because they don't want to deal with it. We need to start talking about it. Listen, hiding it from me isn't going to save you from God's judgment. We're all naked and exposed. God already knows. All hiding it from me is going to do is stop you from getting better. Stop you from having somebody who can encourage you and teach you about grace and walk through it with you to get you back on track. The wheels have separated from the thrill ride. It's time to get the wheels back on track. Let's start talking about it. I think we also need to communicate differently in that we need to start sharing wisdom with one another. And again, this is what I was talking about earlier. We've got some kapuna with a lifetime of wisdom about maintaining their sexuality within their marriage and what it took and what they went through. And we need to start sharing that wisdom with one another. Stop leaving our young people on their own to try to figure it out themselves. Communicating differently means we need to start talking to our kids differently. I know one tactic is, well, let's just make them scared to death of it, and let's just freak them out for they won't do it. No, that's not how we're supposed to teach our kids. We're supposed to teach our kids that it's wonderful, and it's beautiful, and it's a gift from God, and it's something that we should treasure, but that there are strict limits on it. 
Start talking to our kids about the one flesh principle. That there is one flesh for you and there is one person. And don't drink until you own that well. Start talking to our kids differently. We need to start communicating differently. Start getting this out in the open and dealing with it. So that we're not the blind leading the blind. But so that we're all moving towards maturity. And we're all overcoming our sin. And we're all going to be able to have that healthy, wonderful sexuality in our marriage that God promises us. And the last one, let me invite the worship team to come back today. The last one is flee from immorality. Flee from immorality. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says this, flee immorality. Woo, that's where you got that from. All right. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Flee from immorality. What does flee mean? It means run. Run as fast as you can. Don't look back. Get away from it. Flee from immorality. What does that mean? It means get as far away from it as you can. Right? Again, because we have allowed the culture to come in and try to define what's okay about sex rather than letting God define it, we get this wrong mindset. And the mindset is this, and I'll phrase it in, you know, the kind of conversations I have with people, right? So, pastor, how much can I do and still be okay with God? Hey, pastor, where's the line? How far can I push it? How close can I get to the line and God is still going to smile on me? And my answer is always, that's the wrong question. The question should be, how far away from the line can I stay? If the line is over there, I don't want to get anywhere close to it. Flee from immorality. You say, oh, pastor, is it okay if I watch movies that have a little bit of whoopee in it? Don't ask me. Ask God. Is that fleeing from immorality? I mean, pastor, can I, can I make out, maybe get a little fondling in? That's okay, right? Don't ask me. Ask God. Is that fleeing from immorality? Hey, pastor, when I'm at the beach, how many seconds can I stare before it's a sin? Don't ask me. Ask God. Does it sound like fleeing from immorality? Right? Let's just get as far away from it as we can. I know some people say, oh, well, you know, Pastor, I don't struggle with those thoughts, so I can watch those movies, and it doesn't bother me. Well, God bless you. God wired you special. That's not how I'm wired. I got to be vigilant every day. Right? There's that old joke, man. Our wives would be mortified if they knew how much we thought about sex every day. And I've got to be vigilant that when I think about sex, it only involves my wife. I don't want to picture a movie with another woman in it. I don't want to picture some woman I saw at the beach. I want to get as far away from that as I possibly can. I love that some people think, oh, well, you know, the moment you become a pastor, God sprinkles pixie dust on you, and you don't struggle with sexual thoughts anymore. <laughs> I must have missed that day in my commissioning. I have to be vigilant every day. Flee from immorality. 
And let's be honest about the facts that we live in a world that's not going to honor us for fleeing from it. Think about Joseph. Genesis 39, Potiphar's wife does everything she can to seduce him. And what does he do? He runs away. And does he get honored for running away? No, he gets lied about and attacked and falsely thrown into prison. And I feel like that's the culture we live in today. You're not going to get honored for running away. You're going to get mocked for running away. Our vice president, Mike Pence, came out a couple of years ago and talked about how he has a, a, a boundary in his life where he's never alone with a woman that's not his wife. And when I heard him share that, I thought, that's awesome. I have the same boundary. Did he get honored for sharing that? No. He was mocked and humiliated publicly. He was called archaic because he was fleeing from immorality. I went to a wedding recently, a young man that stayed a virgin till his wedding day. And did the local boys honor him for that? No, they mocked him and humiliated him. We're not going to get honored for fleeing from immorality, not by this culture. But we will be honored by God, and we will be blessed by God, and we will experience the goodness of God in our lives if we're willing to flee from immorality. Amen. Will you stand with me today? Can I invite the prayer team to come forward? Thank you, Jesus. It's a thrill ride. It's wonderful. God wants us to enjoy it. But it's got to be within limits. It's got to be within limits. God doesn't want us to get derailed. God didn't want us to have to experience abortion and infanticide because of unwanted pregnancies. God didn't want us to have to experience a scourge of viruses and bacterias that we call STDs and make jokes about. God didn't want us to feel the devastating pain of what was supposed to be a lifelong relationship ripped apart. God didn't want any of that for us. I want to invite you to come receive prayer today. And I know what some people say, Pastor, no one's going to come forward for prayer. You're talking about sex. Well, maybe, just maybe, somebody's courageous enough. Maybe you're here today, and your sex life and your marriage is wonderful. And you just want it to keep being wonderful, so you're going to come forward for prayer. Maybe you're married and your sex life isn't wonderful, and you want to reignite the passion today, then you would come forward for prayer. Or maybe you're single today and you're struggling in sexual sin. You would come forward and receive prayer today. Maybe you're ready to make a stand and you say, I'm going to stand for God's definition of purity until the day that I am married. And you would come forward and receive prayer today. If you need anything for prayer today, even if it doesn't have to do with this message, you come forward and receive prayer. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it teaches us and guides us. My greatest prayer today for Kauai Bible Church, for everyone that's here today, my prayer for our island, 
for the islands of Hawaii, God, is that your word will define our sexuality. Not the culture, not the world, not what the media tells us we're supposed to embrace. God, your word will define it. And your blessing will come through your word. I pray for people to get set free today from the cords of iniquity. I pray for people to get set free today from the pain and the consequences of their sin. And I pray for people to experience the goodness of God today. I pray for people to experience God's grace today. Thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you for that, Jesus. Do a new thing in our hearts. Transform our minds. Cause us to think differently. Cause us to communicate differently. God, would you take these things out of the dark? And God, would we bring them out into the light? Can we talk about them openly? Can we encourage one another with wisdom? Can we speak life and grace to one another? Let your light shine on it, God. Lord, I rebuke all of our religious attitudes. I rebuke them in Jesus' name. Let us be authentic people. Let us walk with one another in the truth. Thank you for that, Jesus. Work in our hearts right now, God. Call us to something new. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together. When you're ready to come forward and receive prayer, please come.